Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. About 15 years ago, I moved from my hometown uh, down the coast up here to Brisbane uh, to go to Bible college. And just before I left, I had been running a Bible studies group for young girls, for primary school aged girls. And once when I was visiting home, I was asking the mother how she was going. And the mother replied, she's doing well. She's got the justice down pat. We're just working on the mercy. And I thought that was an amazing description. Um, This concept of balancing both justice and mercy, uh, it's not all righteousness and compassion. It's not a new idea. Um, In both the Old and New Testaments, uh, we have plenty to say on the topic. And here's a few examples. Uh, Micah 6 verse 8 says, What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to work, walk humbly with your God. And Zechariah chapter 7 verse 9 says, This is what the Lord Almighty said, Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. And then Jesus also talks about it because he says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important things. Justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And I believe balancing both justice and mercy in any given circumstance is actually really very difficult. Most of us tend to lean one way or the other. But someone who was particularly good at balancing justice and mercy was Jesus' adopted earthly father, Joseph. So let's take a look at the life of Joseph uh, to see what we can learn about this often unsung hero of the Bible. So when we think of nativity and Christmas sermons, Mary gets a lot of the attention. Um, Joseph, on the other hand, often barely gets a mention, and that's probably because we know very little about him. Um, He's only mentioned in the nativity and childhood stories of Jesus, and they only occur in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. So for him, that's only two chapters in each, four chapters. That's all Joseph gets. And so looking at our passage that Sue read for us, starting at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Mary and Joseph are engaged to be married but not yet living together. And at the time, um, the marriage custom was to be engaged to be married for a year um, and then at the end of the year, or they'd be leaving separately for this year, and then at the end of the year the marriage would be consummated and the wife would move into the husband's home. And so couples were actually legally married at the point of engagement rather than at the marriage ceremony like we have. So in our story of Matthew, Joseph has paid the bride price and he's legally married to Mary even though they're living separately. And it's at this stage that Joseph is informed that Mary is pregnant. You can imagine his disappointment. I thought she was a good Jewish girl, you know. This isn't how it's supposed to go. 
Or maybe he was angry, like, how dare she dishonour me like this? And verse 19 has our first description of Joseph. And it says, because Joseph was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Unfortunately, being a righteous man, Joseph's in a bit of a conundrum. He really has no option but to divorce Mary. In that culture, continuing to marry her is essentially a confession of guilt that he's actually the father of the child. As a righteous and upstanding Jew, he, he has no choice but to divorce her. His only choice is whether to do it publicly or privately. Divorcing Mary publicly would mean dragging her into the centre of town, announcing it to everyone, and if Joseph said the reason was her adultery, well, she could face possible stoning. Um, that could be the outcome for Mary. And that would be legally and biblically within Joseph Wright. I mean, Joseph doesn't have to give a reason as to why he's divorcing Mary. However, the way the divorce pans out has an impact, particularly financially, for both of them. Because if Joseph says the reason why he's divorcing Mary, he gets the full bride price back. That's hard to say fast, bride price. Um, but if he chooses to keep the reasons quiet, if he doesn't say that's the reason why he's divorcing her, he's just changed his mind, then she gets to keep it. And this bride price wasn't small. It was a substantial sum of money. So we can only really speculate about what the Bible means by divorcing her quietly. Um, does it mean that Joseph's actually going to take the financial hit here? Uh, let Mary keep the money. Or does it mean that he's just not going to drag her into the centre of town for, you know, abuse and possible stoning? It's hard to tell. But either way, Joseph is taking the time to think it through thoroughly to ensure the best outcome, not only for himself, but for Mary, who possibly didn't really deserve the consideration if he thought she'd been committing adultery. And Matthew describes this very particularly. He says that these decisions are made because Joseph was a righteous man. He's a faithful, good and just man. He's a man who wants to follow God's word and law, but he also wants to show compassion to Mary as well. Not only does he not want to act in spite, he's actually also acting in consideration of Mary. He's a man of justice and mercy, someone who cares about living a righteous life, but also is compassionate to the people in his life as well. It's often easy to do one or the other. Like it's often easy to do either justice or mercy, but it's very difficult to do both. And at times they seem in opposition to each other. But here Joseph is described as attempting to do both, to act justly according to God's word, but also to act with mercy to Mary. We can only imagine how Joseph was feeling in this situation. He had plans to marry a faithful, pious girl, and now he's stuck in an impossible situation. Because he's a righteous man, he wants to do the right thing by the law and God, but because he's a compassionate man, he also wants to protect Mary as much as possible. 
And it's in this moment that Joseph reveals another important aspect to his character. He reveals himself to be a sensible and level-headed individual. He takes time to think about it. In chapter 1, verse 20, it says, But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So Joseph has heard the terrible news, thought about his options, and then slept on it. Rightfully, he could have dragged Mary to the center of town there and then, had her stoned immediately upon hearing the news. And I imagine many men at the time would have taken that approach in their anger. However, Joseph takes his time to think about it and, in fact, to sleep on it. And while sleeping on his conundrum, Joseph receives a message from God through a dream. In verse 20, it says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, the address is an interesting one. Um, it would have made more sense for the angel to have said, Joseph, son of Jacob, referring to his natural father. However, the angel in the dream is drawing attention to the fact of the messianic prophecies that the Messiah would be from the house of David. In one sentence, the angel is telling Joseph that not only was Mary chosen to be the mother of the Messiah, but Joseph had also been chosen to be his adoptive father. And the dream it then addresses Joseph's current conundrum. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So this takes away one aspect of his conundrum. Mary has not been unfaithful. She's as pious and faithful as Joseph would have hoped. In addition to this, she's also being faithful to the call that God has made on her life. However, God's response doesn't actually address the issue of the social stigma. Um, people are still going to know that Mary was pregnant before they were married and there will be gossip and shame and people are going to assume that child is Joseph's. If Joseph's obedient to God, it will still come at a cost as his reputation and it's likely that this righteous man will have to live with a life of quiet slander in his community. And when offences are committed, we often like to apply justice to others and have a bit of mercy for ourselves. I mean, they deserved it. I mean, choices have consequences. Break the rules and it's, well, it's what you get. But for ourselves, I mean, there was, there was special circumstances. Um, I have good reason for doing what I did. Can't expect people to be perfect all the time, can you? And when walking the tightrope of justice and mercy, sometimes the right solution, the one which is both righteous and compassionate, can cost us dearly. Uh, if Joseph didn't care about righteousness, being seen by others as a sinner may not have bothered him very much. If he divorced Mary, he wouldn't have to deal with any of it. To credit to Joseph that he was willing to walk this road regardless of the cost to himself. Now the angel continues on in the dream and says in verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you were to give him the name Jesus 
because he will save his people from their sins. And in Jewish society, the act of naming the son was the process of legitimizing your children. So for Joseph, this is the process of enacting his adoption. So until writing this sermon, I really hadn't thought about the fact that Jesus biologically is not actually of the line of David. Mary's not of the line of David. Um, That only comes because of the adoption. It's only through his adoption that Joseph, this this adoption by Joseph, that this prophetic attribute is actually enacted. It means that Joseph wasn't coincidentally the man that was going to marry Mary, the chosen one. Rather, it means that Joseph himself was also chosen to be the adopted father and the person who raises and helps shape the character of the Messiah. So finally, the, actual, the angel wraps it all up and gives Joseph his commission. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Not too big of a job, Joseph. You only need to raise the saviour of the world, you know. Not a big deal, not hard. Just need to help raise the son of God and help shape his character so that he can grow into the Messiah who saves the world. No big deal. And Jesus did, in fact, grow into the Messiah. And we can see a reflection of Joseph's Joseph's approach to justice and mercy through Jesus' ministry and teachings. In the late 90s and early 2000s, don't worry, guys, you may have heard of it anyway, um, there was an extremely common phrase used, WWJD, what would Jesus do? There was bracelets everywhere. Um, It was such an amazing mantra that was overdone at the time and it lost all efficacy. Um, But it was a great benchmark to use when at any given point in time to navigate difficult situations, what would Jesus do in this scenario? But in order to have a feeling for the answer, you needed to both know the scriptures to know what sort of person Jesus was and how he behaved and also to have a close relationship with him too. I mean, I often think about the story of Jesus dealing with the woman caught in adultery. Um, The Pharisees tried to force Jesus into a compromising position. But Jesus' response of, whoever is without sin, he should cast the first stone, showed mercy to the woman in that moment. But his comment to the woman following was, go forth and sin no more. It demonstrated Jesus' expectation of righteousness as well. Compassion and righteousness blended together in grace. And Jesus calls us to a more perfect way, the way of love. The way of love is best expressed as balancing justice and mercy through faith. This is shown to us through the cross. In the cross, Jesus fulfills God's requirement for justice. A penalty must be paid for the sins of the world. To simply forgive our sins without payment would be a gross miscarriage of justice. However, mercy says that God himself is going to pay the price through Jesus. And in this way, he extends grace to us all. And then in verse 24, it describes Joseph's response. It says, when Joseph woke up, He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. 
So Joseph didn't ask for any further clarification, despite being a thoughtful person and acted in decisive obedience to God. This passage makes it seem that, that Joseph not only followed through with his marriage to Mary, but that he actually probably brought it forward and did it immediately. Despite being a man of thoughtful disposition, when he received a direct word from God, his obedience was immediate. And this decisive obedience is mentioned again with the subsequent dreams that Joseph has. So firstly, when he's commanded to flee to Egypt in chapter 2 due to the aggression of Herod, verse 14 says, so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. So Joseph didn't even wait till the following day. He arose during the night and left. And later when Joseph is commanded in, the, in a dream to return to Israel following Herod's death, it follows the same pattern. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Every mention of Joseph focuses on his faithful obedience to God. He is a faithful, righteous man of God, open to his leading and direction. And Joseph was faithful in raising Jesus and trusting in God, even though his contribution was reduced to less than four chapters. Joseph, in his faith and trust in God, continued in obedience despite it coming at great personal cost. Joseph was faithful even though he didn't see the fruit of his faith. So what have we learned about Joseph? We've learned that he's a man of great faith and obedience to God. He's both a thoughtful man and a man of decisive action. And he's a man who is able to balance justice and mercy. So let's consider ourselves now. How do we manage to balance justice and mercy? I have a couple of humble suggestions for you. So my first suggestion is that if we understand what our natural inclinations are, then we can find a way to supplement them. So because I think most of us lean one way or the other, uh, we know whether we incline to justice or mercy. And if we recognize what that is, then we can help to supplement it at other times when we feel it's needed. So if you think about yourself, where do you sit on that continuum of humility, of justice and mercy? I think my natural inclination, personality-wise, when I was young, was to justice. I was extremely judgmental. Like, it's not hard to make good choices. The rules are there for a reason. My mum, being the wise and compassionate person that she is, would encourage me and try and see it from the other person's perspective. Try and see why people behaved the way they did and why they make the choices that they do. I mean, choices may still have been unwise, but at least I could understand where they were coming from. And this helped grow my empathy for other people. And as a result, I think that now my inclination is probably on the mercy side of the spectrum. And being aware that I now sit on this mercy side, it's also important for me to be aware that at times I probably need to take into account the justice of the situation as well. And so another suggestion I have to help us reconcile justice and mercy is to possibly think of the extreme options in a situation and then see if there's a way we can reconcile them. 
So it could be to consider a difficult conundrum and to think of the most justice letter of the law way you could approach it, or you could be looking at what's the most compassionate, merciful thing I could do in this situation. And see if there's a way that you can accommodate both approaches, because both approaches are in the heart of God. He's a God of justice and of mercy. And we need to find a balance of both in every situation. And as I mentioned, my parents tend to lean on the merciful side, although, you know, justice was important in our family as well. So unfortunately, in my driving history, my parents have had to endure some errors with my parking ability, which has resulted in damage to their vehicles. Also, unfortunately, on multiple occasions. The justice approach would be to explain to me that there are consequences to actions, even accidental, and as a result, I'd have to pay for the damage to the vehicle. Furthermore, I may not be allowed to use the vehicles until I could demonstrate that I would use them in a way that wouldn't damage them. Legitimate approaches. What actually happened was that they paid all the expenses, allowed me to keep driving their cars, and I didn't even get a lecture. That's because my parents knew I made a genuine mistake and was very sorry. <laughs> At a later date, when I made a similar mistake, I did pay for the repairs. Um, my financial circumstances were different and I also felt like it was only fair for me to do so. And my parents once again could have taken a more justice approach and banned me from driving their vehicles or indeed a more merciful approach and refused to receive the money. Um, instead, they agreed that what I felt was fair was a reasonable approach given the circumstances. And I think in navigating the balance between justice and mercy, taking into account the circumstances and the people involved is really crucial in obtaining a good outcome. In my example, if I'd been flippant about the accident, unrepentant and irresponsible, I'm sure a more justice-based approach would have been more appropriate, not only to keep their possessions safe, but also to protect the people around me as well. However, they looked at the situation and ascertained that more justice wouldn't make me more sorry or more careful next time. I was already very aware of the severity of the situation and have made decisions accordingly. And I think by evaluating the different approaches and taking into account circumstances and the people involved, we can find a balance of justice and mercy. And my third suggestion is think, what would Jesus do? And extend grace to others. I think the secret to balancing grace and mercy lies in the passage in Micah, which we read at the beginning, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. In being close in our walk with God, we will hear clearly from him how he wishes to direct our steps and what it is that he wants us to do. And by doing that with humility, remembering what Romans 3 verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we can extend compassion to others. And through faith in Jesus, we receive this amazing balance of both justice and mercy. And because we've experienced this justice and mercy, we can extend it to others through love. And when we love one another, 
we are doing our best to execute justice and mercy through faith. Because in Joseph, we see the marvelous character of this unsung hero, a man of righteousness and compassion, and his adopted son extended upon this wonderful truth to bring us grace. A preacher said this in a sermon more than 10 years ago, um, and it's been deep in my soul ever since. And he said, justice is receiving what you deserve. Mercy is not receiving what you deserve, but grace is receiving better than you deserve. And by remembering the grace that we have received, we can extend that grace to others. And as we think about ourselves, how do we think someone would sum up our lives in two chapters? Would we be called righteous, compassionate, faithful and obedient? Would someone say that you've modelled God's love to them? Or are there people and situations that you need to extend some grace to right now? So let's strive to be known as Joseph was, as righteous, compassionate, faithful and obedient. May I pray for you? Lord, we thank you for your wonderful word, Lord, and your grace. And we thank you for Joseph's obedience, Lord, that he chose to say yes when he could have said no. Lord, we thank you for the way that he faithfully raised Jesus and for the work that Jesus has done for us on the cross, Lord. We pray that we would be encouraged, Lord, to think of Joseph, Lord, and Jesus as we extend grace to people in our lives around us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.